0: know I'm I'm in the back there and I'm listening to all these testimonies but I can't help but notice that there are a lot of young people coming up here giving testimonies but one thing that really struck me so profoundly is that SWYC GYC Southwest is put on by by some young people themselves and I know they don't want me to give them praise. It's not about giving them praise. It's about asking you all to pray for them. The staff, the people who put this stuff together, who organize it, who pray hard, and all this stuff so young people's lives can be touched. I know for a fact that the devil is after them as well. Major. So I would ask you all to keep them in prayer because it's things like this. When young people see the word of life being lived, it makes a difference. They don't want to hear a sermon. They want to see a sermon, you know. Um, So these kinds of gatherings, since I've given my life to God, there's a different atmosphere here. There's a spirit of seriousness. There's a spirit of love. There's a spirit of people who are about God's business. People who are seeking a relationship with him. And you know, it's it's, it's that kind of thing that just emanates naturally and people can feel and feed off that. And it picks you up. The Bible says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So listen to that. They overcame who? The devil, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Not by the blood of the lamb alone, but by the word of their testimony as well. So, what does that say to us all? We got to testify. I was reading in the spirit of prophecy, and she says that speech is a talent that God has given everyone. Can you talk? That's a talent. And if you can share the goodness of God and what he's done in your life, you would be surprised how many people are going through the same thing or can relate to you. It's so powerful when you testify. It uplifts and it shows people the reality of God. Before I even continue, I wanted to say a word of prayer. Would you join me? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful, Lord, because... The testimony is really your testimony. It is revealing your power in human lives. Power to save from the lowest depths, Lord. Power to save from the most impossible situations. Power that shows us who you are when we least expect it, God. And Lord, we are so grateful for that power that you show us and and speak to us individually so we can understand for ourselves. And I'm thankful, God, for my family here, Lord. And Lord, what we experience here, what we share amongst each other, may we continue to uh, carry this mission out when we go back home. May we remember what we received here and put it out into practice out there. This is training up here, but out there is the war. And let us remember that you're with us, God. I thank you, Father. Before I go further, I pray for forgiveness for my sins. And Lord, that you would please use me, my mouth, my mind, my heart, my actions, that I would do and say what you want me to do and say. I pray that those out here who need to hear a word from you today, that they would be attentive to your voice. And God, I just thank you because you're always faithful to us thank you for your goodness, Lord, and your mercy that endureth forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, I never forget where I came from. I love uh, sharing my testimony. I've, I've shared it so many times, but each time I share it, like my sister said, when you water someone, someone's soul or you seek the water, you yourself get water. And each time's a new experience for me. I'm 33 years old, and when I see God moving in the lives of young people, it really, to me, is that's the most powerful testimony. Amen. Because man, when I was young, I was a knucklehead, <laughs> and the things that you guys are talking about and testifying and confessing, ah, oh, man, well, God knows, but I, the Lord is working in your life in a mighty way. Amen. And I just pray that you continue to hold his hand. Uh, Well, I was born in Gloucester, England in 1981. I was born in a Muslim family. My father's name is uh, Muhammad. And and, uh, my mother's name is Esme. They met in uh, England. And there they had three boys, my twin brother and I, and one brother one year older than us. And we grew up going to the mosque five times a day, pretty much, uh, reading the Quran. I was reading the Quran in Arabic when I was five years old. Uh, I never forget when my father would sit right in front of us. We would cross our legs, have our topis on, our little hats, have the Quran. We're learning the alphabet, and we're rocking back and forth, and we're reciting our prayers. He always had his sandal right there, his slipper right there, and if we made one mistake, didn't pronounce the word right, then that sandal would come out flashing at us. So it was very much looking at that sandal as we're trying to recite the prayers, you know? (laughs) Gotta get it right. So you know what, it made me get it right though. I was really good. But, uh, But you know, growing up as a young Muslim, it was very much of a religion that was very stern, strict. We were told a lot of things like we got to get it right or our father won't make it to Jannah, won't make it to heaven. If we tell lies, Angel Gabriel will pull out your tongue, put it back in your mouth, however many lies you tell. So it was a very strict religion, you know. We we didn't go to McDonald's, we didn't uh, do certain things that other kids did, you know. We had to eat kosher meat, halal meat. Uh, We went to um, the mosque all the time and, and hung out with the brothers, you know. So it was, I remember telling my father when I was a young kid, I'm gonna be a good Muslim boy. And I meant it, I was very serious. And um, so we grew up in this type of uh, environment. But when we were one one years old, my brother and I, twin brother and I, we actually left England and came to the United States. So we grew up going to the mosque as we were younger in the United States, in Hartford, Connecticut. It was at this time that my mother, when we were around the age of eight years old, eight years old, that she met with Jesus once again. I say once again because she was born and raised an Adventist. Grew up in an Adventist home. And my father, born and raised a Muslim. However, she had backslidden and my father wasn't really that devout back in those days and they got to know each other, relationships, and they got to know each other and out came three boys. And we grew up in a Muslim home. But my mom had received a book, I believe she was digging in the garage and she found a a, a copy of Steps to Christ or Desire of Ages, and she fell in love with Jesus once again. And she had a co-worker that was a Seventh-day Adventist and her testimony is powerful. And long story short, God was speaking into her heart. And she would see her three young boys being taught Islam, and it struck her profoundly because she remembered Sabbath school with the felt boards and the singing, and there was no sandal there in Sabbath school, you know. (laughs) So it struck her profoundly because my boys are growing up missing the joy of the Lord. But my mother had a conversion experience, and she couldn't help but tell us about Jesus. My father would go to work. So out comes the Bible and for the first time we're learning about Joseph and Daniel and David and Moses and these stories were fresh and Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories. I mean, brand new things and it was amazing. My father didn't like what was going on because Islam and Christianity in the house, straight controversy. At the time, it was 1989, my father was uh, at the mosque. A lot of the brothers, Muslim brothers, were coming from Afghanistan in the war with Russia. And they would come, and a lot of them worked and lived in Saudi Arabia, and they would always talk to my father. And they were whispering to his ears like, Hey, you could go to Saudi Arabia, move your family to Saudi Arabia, you'll have full control of your family there. And my mother, at the same time, was praying to God, Lord, I want an experience with you, an experience that I read about in in this word. I don't want no weak experience, and she's praying that tough prayer, and I don't know if she was ready for what she was about to get. (laughs) So she felt impressed, and my father was pushing this agenda to take all five kids now, I had two sisters that were born in Connecticut, to take all five of us to Saudi Arabia. Next thing you know, we're at Faith Church in Hartford, Connecticut. They gave us a farewell, prayed for us, and then we're off on this plane to Saudi Arabia. Got off the plane. Never forget the feeling of the heat. I thought it was nighttime, midnight, walking down the steps on the airplane there. And it felt like the jet engine was just blowing on us. That's what we thought it was. Until we continued to walk closer to the airport, then we're like, whoa, it's hot out here. And it's midnight, right? We got into Saudi Arabia totally different than United States. My mother was impressed before we got off that plane to wear the traditional Islamic garment to be covered up. She put it on, and in her luggage, in her suitcases, she had smuggled, because my mother was a coal porter, and she did have a lot of books at the house. And she had a lot of Desire of Ages and different uh, diets and health and food, councils on health and food, and you name it. So she had two suitcases filled with Ellen White books, the Bible, you name it. And she was trying to wrap them up in clothes and do all kinds of stuff that looked so obvious, you know. <laughs> so she puts it in the suitcase, and unbeknownst to her, if you try to sneak that into Saudi Arabia in 1989, it could be punishable by death. And so she's coming into this country, and the suitcases arrive in the airport, and they're coming on this conveyor belt, and the security guard picks up one of these guys got guns all in the airport, takes one of the suitcases, opens it up, and then he unravels one of the big old obvious lumps in in the bag, and he finds a Bible there. And he's opening the Bible, and he starts calling all the security like, What's this? And he's calling all the officials. And then my mom is like, oh, Lord. And she starts praying. And as the security, they're all looking at the Bible, looking at my mother, looking at the Bible, looking at my father. My father got the big traditional Muslim beard. We all like good little Muslim kids next to him, Muslim wife. It doesn't make sense. This is a Muslim family, but yet they got a Bible. Then all of a sudden, they just started laughing. (laughs) You're good. You're good. Everybody good. And they didn't check. They didn't. They didn't check the rest of the suitcases. They would have found the desire of ages, great controversy, and you know, it would have been over. Got into the country. And uh, my father got a job there, and he would work at at the job there. And um, while he was working, my mother would teach us about the Bible in the apartment there in Saudi Arabia. So my brothers and I, one of us would always have to be on the lookout. And my mother always told us, you guys, you're undercover agents for the Lord. You're, you're on a secret mission. I'm eight years old. I'm taking this serious. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay. I'm on a mission, okay? And I'm looking out the window because one, one of the guys got to look out the window for our dad when he comes home, my, my father. So when he comes home, we got to give the signal. Everybody puts the books up, and we hide them in pots under the bed, and we act like we're playing a game. And there were times when we would leave that apartment and us little boys would go out and talk to a, I remember talking to this Hindu man outside and we started talking to him about Jesus. He started telling us about um, how they revere the cow and all this and we were talking to him about Jesus. Eight years old. We really took this serious. Never forget those worship services in that apartment because it was so much joy. I remember being eight years old and I was so excited that I would just be rolling around on the carpet. Don't even know why. But it was so much joy in the worship. Total opposite. Excuse from the from the Islamic mosque being in there. Total different environment. When you go to the mosque, it's a serious business. Line up next to the brothers. There's, there's no time for jokes or nothing. There's no joy. Anyway, one night, one day, um, one of the brothers were looking out the window. I don't think it was me, but my father didn't come the usual way. And he came the back way. So when he walked up the stairs, he busted in the, in, the, in the apartment and caught us smack dead in the middle of worship. And let me tell you, we were having a great time in the Holy Ghost. But when he came in that room, you can feel the darkness come in there. It was a scary, as a child, when you experience traumatic things, you remember how it feels. And he was about to tear my mother apart. My mother was screaming. She ran into the bathroom and locked herself in. There was a kid on each one of his limbs, on his arms and legs. We were saying, no, Papa, no, no, because he was trying to just kill my mother. And he took all my mother's books, bagged them up, and left. My mother was in a country where she couldn't write home. She couldn't call her loved ones. She couldn't watch no TV. There was nothing. The only thing she had was those books. And when the books were taken, that was a sore trial for her. She did have a little Bible and, and I think a couple of other Ellen Wikes that books that he didn't find that was stashed under the bed. But the majority of them that we did our Bible studies with, with were all gone. And my mom went through a, a point of being angry with God and, and praying, why, why, why? And she was really going through a, her experience at that time. One day, my brothers and I, my, my father after that event, will take the three boys to his job and leave the girls all day with my mom. But one day, we went to my father's job and the boys couldn't believe what we saw. We come home and I say, I call my, my mother mum because I was born in England, Okay. Mom. No. <laughs> Mom. I say, Mom, you, you're not gonna believe what we saw at the office. She said, What? I said, we saw your books. She said, My books? We're like, yeah. Papa got them at the job and all the men are reading them. Oh, wow. So so listen to this. My mom's complaining. God's saying, woman, you can't go to that place. Because in Saudi Arabia, women have no rights. They can't even drive. They can't go out into a place where men go. When we go out to a friend's house to eat, the men will eat on one side and the women on the other. Because they they can take off their outward covering. And in public, the husband will walk in the front. the, The wife and all the tribe of kids will walk in the back. So he said, I could take these books there, but you can't. So these men were reading Ellen White books and the Bible and all, checking it out. And before you know it, my father brought those books back to the apartment. Couldn't stop God. God was moving in Saudi Arabia, in a Muslim country. And my father came up with this idea that his friends had whispered in his ear. We were having a worship about Joseph. Our last worship, it would be, for the boys. And after the worship, my father came back because we were now staying at home again. And he came back and said, okay, three boys, Tarek, Adam, and Javit, come with me. And we, he said, get your jackets. And we we're thinking, "Hey, eh, jackets in Saudi Arabia? That doesn't make sense. And so we grab our jackets and we leave. And my mom looks at Adam and says, Adam, I don't know about this. And Adam says, oh, don't worry. Don't worry, mom. Don't worry. We'll be back. And... That would be the last time our mother would see us for seven months. And our father, that very day, took us to the market, got suitcases, clothes, supplies, and he took us on a plane and we were shipping off or going to India. And my mother had no idea where we were the whole time. You see, here was his intention with my grandfather and some other guys that had come in, I guess, cahoots with this plan. is to have those three boys go to boarding school, learn Islam, and in the meantime, they will have the imam, equivalent to a pastor in the church. The imam will come over to my mother and tell her, convert to Islam, and you can have your children back. So they will continue to press my mom like this, and my mom will continue to stand for God in the, during this time. And I'm not going to go into the rest of my mother's testimonies. To me, it's the most powerful thing I've ever heard. And uh, she's actually written a book about it. Some of you may have read it, uh, Beyond the Veil of Darkness. At this time, uh, my brothers and I were in India. A long way from He-Man and Transformers, we went to Saudi Arabia and then India. It just seemed to get worse. And when we got off that plane, it was a totally different country. The level of poverty there, the level of of depressing uh, scenes that you see there. i never forget, i seen this young girl my age, and she was whipping herself with no clothes on and bleeding because she was asking for money. Kids that are deformed, and they get deformed because of the people, defo- um, 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 inflict them so they can look more uh, so you can have pity on them, so they can ask for money. To see people in, in 1989 in that country, in that kind of state, it was really a culture shock. Three boys were left there in that country. My father would leave, and he had some distant relatives there, but we would leave them, and we would bounce around from village to village boarding school to boarding school. It was there that we never brushed our teeth for seven months. We would take a a bath out of a well and it was uh, 6 in the morning or so. We would all go because we didn't want the girls of the village to see us. So we would have a towel, Couple, uh, me and my brothers would hold a towel. The next guy would take the bucket and pour the bucket over him. But we had a little bar of soap. But in the well, they had fishes like this big swimming around in that well. <laughs> we stayed in huts made out of cow manure and um, hay. Didn't smell, though. It was nice and cool in the summer. And... Um, God had placed in our path beautiful people there as well, but as well as some satanic people too. It was a time where, you know, I caught malaria when I was there in one of the boarding schools, and I was sick. I felt like to the point of death. Obviously, I was just dragging like this, my arms and legs, I couldn't move. And the only English speaking people the whole time that we were in in India happened to be next door to us, a Canadian and an American at that school. And these kids were like 15, 14. One of the kids saw me passed out of my room, picked me up, and walked me miles into the next village so I could get a, a huge injection. Like, it, it seemed like this big to me. <laughs> Remember, I was eight years old, and I was like dead. But when I saw that needle, I was like, no! <laughs> but they pinned me down, and they got me with that needle. Praise the Lord, I'm still standing here. I still believe that one of those kids, if not both of them, because after that, we would leave Tudgesuar, that place, And I would never see them again. But I still believe that those two kids were angels. If not, God sent them there. And I would love to see the tape when I get to heaven. Lord, rewind and let me see that again. You know, and it was a place where we experienced a lot of abuse as well. Physical abuse. When I was eight years old, I was molested when I was in India over there. I stayed in a hut. No bigger than this room, about the size of this middle section with about 60 kids bunked up. Eight o'clock they would lock you in. Didn't matter if you had to use the bathroom or not, you're locked in. And even then I, I had my, my afro back then and I didn't want to cut my hair. And We had this competition in our little barracks and who would have the most lice was the competition. <laughs> So one kid was sitting in the middle of the chair, and the, uh, one of the older kids would stand up and he'd start picking, and everybody's counting as they're putting lights on the table. <laughs> and then I was up next. My brother Adam had like 70. Javid, my older brother, had like 107. When Javid had 100 and something, he just cried. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got in there. They got onto 100. 200, 300. My brother just quit, and I was like, Yes! <laughs> I thought I won the gold. God placed some good people there in our lives as well. And um, that whole experience, like my brother said, now I'm a father. And I couldn't imagine a child surviving there by themselves for that long. Thank you. I want to tell you about prayer. I had a mother in Saudi Arabia praying for her boys. My brother almost got ran over by a a big old ox with a chariot, fell in the quicksand, poisonous snakes, I even got on a water buffalo and just rode him through the village on a chain. Crazy little boy. But of all these things, we should have never made it out of there. But because my mother was praying and the church back in England was praying, it don't matter where you are, God's angels can be there with you. And so the angels of the Lord took care of us and God delivered us out of that situation. Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And there was instability in Saudi Arabia. My father's job financially couldn't support. And so he had to get the boys back out. To this day, my mother says that Saddam Hussein was an answer to prayer. <laughs> Saddam came for her. That's what she, she'll tell you that. Came for her. And he had to get all, the whole, all of us out of the country now. All five kids and my mother. And soon as we left and came back to England, then his job was reinstated. After that, my mom heard the word from the Lord, and that was it. And my parents divorced in 1990-91. And now we were in England. Single mother with five kids. This woman that was on fire for the Lord. When we returned from India to Saudi, by the way, we were so skinny uh, bellies stuck out to here. We were just wasted, uh, blood, uh, spots all over our skin and all over our clothes from the bugs and the mosquitoes. Lice still in my hair. Like I said, no hygiene for seven months. But we were home, and I never forgot that first, uh, meal of spaghetti. It was the best thing I ever had. In India, we was eating bone soup, you know, just soup with bones. You just had to suck the marrow. But, uh, it gets, it gets good after a while, you know. What I'm <laughs> <laughs> but uh, add some spices to the sauce, you're all right. But uh, first time we got to come to freedom, worship God without looking out the window, join adventurers and pathfinders, you know. Spe- things like this are beyond special, it's a privilege. And what we're facing, like my brother presented, the storm that is coming. This is the preparation for the storm, my family. So let's treasure these moments while we got them. Beautiful time in my life. I learned so much about God, the love of my family. It was a foundation, seeds that ended up saving my life when I got older. We would leave England, my mom felt impressed, go back to the United States with five kids. So we're in Elmira, New York. My mom's a coal porter now, she's on fire for God. We're in this beat-down apartment with another friend of my mother's, like uh, about five, six, seven, eight, nine of us in a one-bedroom place. There's rats and roaches, but it's a lot better than India. So it was like the Marriott, five stars, something. (laughs) So we're there. My mom receives the calling from God and says, go to Andrews University. Don't know how you're going to go to school. Don't know how you're going to take care of these five kids. And she gets up in faith and goes. And as she goes, God opens up doors. Now we have a place to live. Now we're in school and we're getting um, situated back into society, if you will. The whole time in India wasn't in school. I was... Pretty intelligent for a young kid. I was learning Arabic and English and I went to India and they were talking about one plus one is two ABCs. I learned my ABCs when I was three years old. So when I got to India, Saudi and England, I did did have some education. But by the time I got to New York, I wasn't in school. By the time I got to Michigan, so I was behind about a year added up. Usually, it should have been two. But by the time I got to Michigan, I was born in England, I lived in Connecticut, I went to Saudi, I went to India, I went back to Saudi, I went to England, I went to Elmira, and then Elmira, New York, and then I went to Michigan, all before the age of 10 years old. So tell me, did I feel like I belonged anywhere? No, sir. I felt like I was always like the new I was the new kid in class and I never trusted nobody. Accompanied with my pain, the only people that understood me was my brothers. I had a distance, stiff arm, tough facade, very prideful young boy. And I got involved in hip-hop music. You see, when I started going to the public schools there, um, music was so powerful. Growing up in an Islamic home or a Christian home, either home, I was not permitted to do certain things. So when we started going to church in England, honestly, the church members would play some Christian music, but they would be rapping over it. And the beats, This is hip-hop beats. So me and my brother would always rewind the cassette tape. Some of you guys remember cassette tapes. The cassette tape to the certain, certain song because it had a certain beat. And we would love the raps and love the beats. And me and my brothers were just always rapping. Even when we were in Connecticut, we were always rapping. But now we can do it legally, you know what I mean? So after that, we came to public school and we ended up graduating to the real thing, if you will. Hip-hop in public schools. And as we got into this music, the music really brought about another spirit within us. We didn't, we didn't just talk the talk or rap the talk, if you will. We, we walked the walk. So we didn't talk about smoking weed and drinking and hanging out and being tough. We did it. I didn't only just want to just smoke a joint. I wanted to smoke the whole bag. My pride was into that stuff. Drinking a whole fifth of alcohol and thinking I'm so cool. And, And believe it or not, when I would do these drugs, my talent, my creativity was kicked up a notch. For some reason, I would fall into a, uh, some kind of trance, into the beat, and that things that came out of my mouth were unbelievable, unbelievable. And I said, wow, this is like my, my secret power right here. If I do this, it was my, it was my secret weapon. And so this w- was my life. And before you know it, I had this, this image that I took a lot of pride in. Because you see, I was invincible, I had never fallen on my face. I've done all these things, this drugs and alcohol, and I was cool, I was respected, I was praised. And by the time I got out of high school, I joined the military, I joined the army. And year 2000, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia, and I went to basic training. When I went there, before I went there, I was an official pothead. I smoked weed all day, every day. You couldn't catch me not under the influence. I was high all the time. I had all the paraphernalia at the house. I would teach you how to do it. You come to my place. And I had the reputation for that. And so a pothead has a serious problem joining the army. So I said, oh man, matter of fact, I was hot the day I I went in. And I was like, I hope they don't give me a random, I'm out of here already. But I went through basic training, I made it for three months, one of the best times of my life, felt physically strong, mentally honed, and by the time I got out of there, I hadn't smoked weed for such a long time, but the addictive personality, the same spirit, was still within me. I was so cocky, everything I put my mind to, my body to, I was able to accomplish. And so I got out of the army, and now, no, I'm in the army still, excuse me, I got out of basic training, And now instead of smoking weed, I start experimenting with other drugs, drugs that don't last 30 days in your system like marijuana could, especially as much as I was smoking. So I started experimenting with cocaine and ecstasy and methamphetamines and mushrooms and acid. And sometimes I'll do five or six of these things in one night and go staying up for days, and I was just partying and doing it hard. I would come back just drunk, high, tweaking out of my mind after partying to 4 o'clock in the morning, and then I would come back to formation, get my PT clothes on, my physical training clothes on, and go run four miles, sweat it off. I felt so invincible. But as my time in the military prolonged, next thing y'all know, I'm waking up in the bushes, don't know how I got there, cause I passed out drunk. Next thing you know, there's blood all over my wall because I passed out drunk. And I start blacking out, not remembering what I'm doing. I'm becoming so violent and I'm out of control. And when I get out of the army, I bring all these demons with me. You see, I open up all these doors, all these avenues to darkness. And I'm going to tell you, when you get caught up in drugs and addiction, you open up portals to demons, and you experience darkness that a human being is not intended to experience. You see things, you feel things, you hear things. What goes up when you're on drugs comes down, and when you're down, you're in the depths of despair. I would be up for days, but when it's time to crash, mercy. And I remember those dark times. And life got hard, and I was trapped in this fog. When I came back, my brother was in the same boat as me doing this, these drugs. And uh, we both ended up taking these Norco pills, these pain pills, and we ended up graduating to OxyContin. It's a very powerful opiate. Um, they actually give it to cancer patients on their deathbed. We were on the most, the highest, prescription you can get, including fentanyl patches. I don't know if any of you know this. You don't need to know it if you don't need to know it. And uh, we were doing all these things. Because with opiates, your tolerance level builds and builds. You need more, you need more, you need more, and it's not enough. And so before you know it, three years, we're addicted to these opiates, strung out. If it leaves our system, then our body's going to withdraw. Serious pain. We're shaking, spasming out, nerves feel like they've all been cut by scissors. I've been burned, I've broken bones, but withdrawals is the most intense pain that I've ever felt in my life. It's a pain that I always called it a brand new kind of pain. And I was, I was living this life of being a slave because if I didn't get my fix, I would have to go to the emergency room. My brother and I were trapped in this, in this lifestyle for three years, Oxycontin. This is after over a decade of drug abuse. And so, man, I got out of the army, so I started doing drugs and stuff since I was 15, up until the age of 29, hardcore. And after that, life of hopelessness, life of thinking that this was it, I ended up working at the same warehouse job for about eight, nine years, and I was just killing myself. There were people that I did drugs with one night, but the next morning they died, doing the same thing I did. I would go to people's house to try to get some more, and there's RIP on his truck, and I'm like, what happened to him, man? He passed away, he just collapsed on the kitchen. But I'm so bound by this drug that I have to get it to survive. I remember I was so proud, but this proud man was now walking the streets with holes in his shoes, drooling on myself, twitching, and I have a hoodie on and a beanie on, and it's 100 degrees outside because my body's so offset, and I'm trying to go meet the man to get my fix, and I still didn't want to submit and go to rehab. My mother had always been telling me, Tarek, you need to go to rehab, give your life to the Lord. She's been praying for me, but it didn't work. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. It was at this time that my mother said to Adam, Adam, you have your two girls, and they're always at Uncle T's house. I need you to take those two girls to my house on Friday night so I could take them to church Sabbath morning. And so I had the only car, my brother would come, and then the two, my two nieces would come, and I would drive them to my mom's house on Friday night. On Friday night, my parents were holding this Bible study there. They had just started. And so my brothers and I, my brother and I, we would go to my mom's house, go to the kitchen, because this is what we do. We're trying to restock, reload at mom's house, trying to get some food, see what mom cooked. And as we're in the kitchen doing our thing, there's this Bible study going on in the living room. And these people are all talking about, oh, hallelujah, praise God. And I'm just thinking, man, they need to kill all that foolishness. That's garbage. You know, because what does God know about this? Obviously, God can't help nothing. I mean, my my, my mind was so doubtful. God didn't mean nothing to me. But it was at these Bible studies that I began to hear. Let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray for you to just help me to communicate, to say what I must. In Jesus' name, amen. It was at these Bible studies that I would, I was so reluctant to accept God, but yet I found myself wanting to know about him. There's something about scripture that's unlike anything in this world. I was told these stories since I was a kid, and it was filled with such power. But there were just stories in that page. But when you tried everything else that this world has to offer, and you tried to help yourself, and, you, and I couldn't help myself, me and my brother tried to quit so many times. We couldn't quit, couldn't drop it, and we knew that we were dying, we were stuck. And next thing you know, I'm hearing these people talking about a God who can deliver, a God who can overcome anything. A God who is all-powerful. And yet I know that these people don't know what I'm going through, but yet they're talking about something that's intriguing me. And what spoke to me the most, this young brother came to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And I remember thinking, Bro, get your hand off me. (laughs) But the thing that shook me about that guy is not so much what he said, but it was the look in his eyes. He believed everything he was saying. His body language disturbed me. And the people at that Bible study were going through things, giving their testimonies, giving glory to God, and it began to leave questions in my mind. If God can help them, can he possibly help me? When I used to go to my house in the dark, after the drugs would wear off. This thought always plagued my mind. My two parents were always smiling in my head. Why were they always so happy? They always go, they went through a lot of troubles, but they always had this glow about them, this joy about them. I said, man, I'm younger than them. I do everything I want to do, but why am I so miserable and sad and depressed and bitter and angry? And it bothered me. You see the connection, I didn't even understand it then. But what they believed and, and spoke to me all these years, what got me in the end was when I looked at their life and how it, how it was different from mine. My family, if you want to reach those who are in darkness, make sure God has reached you. Amen. Because it's the moments when you least expect, when your light is shining, those are going to be the moments that you're preaching the loudest. It's not by what you say, my family, how you live. Are they going to see Christ in you? because that's going to do the talking. That started talking to me. Next thing you know, my brother went through a conversion experience that he can speak on his own behalf, but for the sake of time, I'll just go forward. Adam found the Lord, and what blew me away about Adam's conversion was the fact that I always thought I was the tougher, stronger brother. I went to the army. I was invincible. I was the tough guy. And we tried to quit. We couldn't quit. But here Adam, after he had given his life to God, he was in my apartment. We used to do drugs together. And he quit cold turkey off Oxycontin. And he didn't sleep for two weeks. And I would be in the room doing drugs while he's in the living room walking around with this in his hand. Like this. At 3, 4 in the morning, because he's, he's bugging out. His body is going through an exorcism, if you will. And you can't sleep on that thing. And he's quoting scriptures and he's singing songs. While I'm doped out in the room, feeling good. What disturbed me the most about that situation was that I felt like that was the first time I didn't know who my twin brother was. I said, man, this is getting weird. I've known Adam all my life, but I don't know who that is in the living room. I started to see Christ in him, but I didn't know. Power was in my living room. Power that I heard about, but power I was seeing. Power I was still resisting, but the power still was speaking. And man, these things started to chip away at my armor. And I said, man, you know. God, can you help me? These things were questioning in my mind. The same guy that was in the army, smacking Bibles out of people's hands, cursing God like a fool. That same man was now looking to come. My mind was leaning towards him now. And now, I was in a situation with my job. I had a lawsuit against the company. I uh, always strife and tension with my warehouse manager, uh, plant manager and HR manager. Always beef. I've been off the job for about a year and a half. Man, I was on workers' comp, disability, because my back got injured at the job, picking these orders and driving forklifts. And, and now with my condition, I was so doped up and bad that I would have a hard time walking up a flight of stairs without the drug. Couldn't even wash a dish. Couldn't speak like I'm speaking to you without the drug in my system. I was so broken down. And now I had to go back to work on Monday morning. And so my mother had always told me, Terry, go to rehab. And so Sunday night I decided to do something that I never truly done. I got on the side of my bed, whopped out my pillow there on the floor, and I kneeled on that pillow. And I put my hands on that pillow, and my head was, head was down. And I began to pray to God. I said, God, how come you never been there? And I began to just pour my heart out to him in anger, disrespect, pointing my finger at him, giving it to him raw. And before you know it, as I'm just spilling out the truth to him, my heart starts shaking and my lips start quivering now because I'm feeling sad now. And then I start saying, God, I'm sorry because I never tried you all these years. I'm sorry because there's uh, there's truth and your word is speaking to me. But now, Lord, I'm ready to listen. And I began to ask God for help that night. Before you know it, family, I I don't remember crying my whole life except my uncle's funeral in 1996. And I had 29 years of tears on that (coughs) pillow that night. I was sobbing, weeping, and moaning like a baby. And as I started crying, my heart was broken. I said, God... If you can get me to rehab, save my job so I won't get fired, I'll go to rehab. And when I'm there, I'll pray and I'll read my Bible every day. That's a deal the drug addict made with the Lord. I made so many deals with other people on the streets and gypped them, got my drugs and my money. But now this drug addict made a deal with the Lord. And the Lord honored it. Like my brother said, you know. Those that have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, O oh Lord, Thou wilt not despise. Amen. God heard my heart that night. Little did I know, when I woke up Monday morning, I went to, ju- to the job and I was going to speak to the plant manager, warehouse manager, HR manager. I hadn't been at work for over a year and a half, and now I had to get um, reacquainted and meeting. I had to have a meeting with my three enemies. I remember telling Adam I had a, there was a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. He was like this, facing the lion's. I said, man, that's about to be me tomorrow morning, bro, (laughs) in the lion's den. And so now I'm going to the lion's den Monday morning. I go to work, and I pull the HR manager, Jennifer, to the side. And I say, Jennifer, you got a second. I'd like to speak with you. She says, sure, T. I go into her office. I, she shuts the door. She pulls up a chair right in front of me. And I tell her the most difficult thing I've ever told anybody. This proud soul had to confess to his enemy that I had a weakness in a drug addiction. And I tell Jennifer, Jennifer, I'm addicted to drugs. I need help. This woman looked at me and said, T, I am so proud of you. That took a lot of courage for you to say that. I was kind of set off by her response. And then she began the process to get me enrolled in rehab, a recovery center, and the job was gonna pay over 85% of it, for me to go there and keep my job. So the prayer that I prayed was being answered. I went to the other room to start the process of me so I can go to recovery and the job will pay for my recovery. As I'm talking to this guy on the phone and we're talking through the, you know, the, the, the things I got to set, set out straight, I get off the phone with him and I go back to the office, to Jennifer's office, and she's standing right there at the door, leaning, and she's looking at me. And she said, T, while you were in there, I was praying for you. Amen. And she said, it looked like you needed it. I can lose my job for telling you this. But I have to do what God tells me to do. We got in that office. Little did I know that my enemy, Jennifer, had given her life to God two months prior, had been baptized. And we sat in her office at my workplace for almost two hours. And she opened the book of Galatians and Ephesians to me and started giving me testimony after testimony of how the Holy Spirit was working in her life. When I walked out of that job, my family, that was the first time in my life I felt so special. I never could help myself, but here God spoke through the mouth of my enemy. I felt like God stopped the planets, the sun, moon, and stars, just to show little old drug-addicted Tarek that I'm here for you. After that experience, I was so moved. When I prayed Sunday night, I didn't expect an answer like that. I didn't. But I was floored by God. And after having that boost of faith, I still had to take my drugs to function now. You know, I still had to survive. But I was on the way to recovery. And on the way to rehab, my parents had chosen this facility to take me to Napa, uh, St. Helena Hospital. Uh, Adventist Hospital. And, of course, my mom picked that place, you know, so. So she picked the Adventist Hospital. And I said, wherever, I'll go. And my brother and my parents are driving me to this hospital. And on the way there, the Lord had given my brother Adam a scripture in Psalms 143. And Adam whopped out this piece of paper that he wrote it on. And he said, here, Tarek, here's Psalms 143. And I said, oh, what's this for? He said, bro, when you feel low, when you're feeling discouraged in this crunch time, I want you to whop that scripture out, pull it out when you need it the most. I said, okay, man, whatever, man. And I was just thinking about my recovery. I put it in my wallet. I go on to, uh, to the recovery center. And I start the process of my recovery. My mom gave me a, um, a lesson quarterly entitled uh, Human Emotions for that year. January 2011, I went to rehab. And I was there in St. Helena Hospital and I decided to honor my deal with God. And so for the first night, I was on the bed, and in this uh, lesson quarterly, I didn't know how to navigate the Bible, didn't know where to go, where to start reading. So I looked at the lesson quarterly, I looked at the table of uh, contents right there, and it said, um, page 88, a chapter on addictions. And so I said, hey, I'm in rehab, I'm addicted, I'm going to go to page 88 and see what God to say to me, right? So I go to page 88. And the first verse that I read there on the top of the page, John 8:36, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Amen. Can I tell you something? That was one of the most richest Bible studies I've ever had in my life. Because when I read those words, tears flowed out of my eyes. Because for 29 years, that's what I desperately wanted. For 29 years, that's what my soul was crying out for. And now God was dangling that in front of my eyes. And I said, Lord, this has to be true or I'm going to die. Everything in my soul wanted that scripture to be true. I needed it to be true. So when he told me my soul's desire, it melted me. I could not pick up the Bible or read further. I wept like a baby that night. Next day, I read again. I read again and I read again. Within that first week, my family, I couldn't put this down. It was speaking to my heart on such a profound level. And it it tripped me out because I said, you know what? I had a dusty Bible in my room all my life with a thick layer of dust on it all my life. And I never knew it had this power in it. The Bible says where the word of the king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? And now this power was being activated in my life. I remember reading the scripture in Galatians. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. I remember thinking I'm in withdrawals. I'm gone, my flesh is corrupted. That's all I did is corrupt my flesh. But I read the second half of the verse and it says, But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Amen. And I remember thinking there, man, I tried the first part for 29 years, but I never tried the second part. And I remember reading when Jesus said that I will give you rest and you shall find rest unto your souls. I remember that those scriptures meant everything to me because it is all I desired. I would go to the balcony, my family, read one verse and tears would pour out. And I would leave the Bible out there because I said, Lord, I can't take this. I just can't take it. Pick up the lesson quarterly. Read one verse, one sentence. Put it down because I couldn't take it. I found myself just breaking down the whole week. Never cried so much in my life. God was just breaking me down, but he was building me up. Within that first week, I couldn't put this down. And I was walking around rehab, smiling and beaming, because I found some new joy in my life. And people were coming up to me saying, Tarek, can you teach me how to read the Bible? People in rehab with me. The people that ran the facility came and called me to the office. It was like, "We've never seen somebody recover so fast. Can we do an interview with you so you can do an advertisement or advertisement for the for the uh, program?" The counselors were like, "Whoa, brother, what's gotten into you?" One of the guys came to me that was uh, supposed to be helping us looked at me and said, "Brother, there's something spiritual about you." I said. And I was like, Lord, what's going on? And I went, I went to the room and I found a scripture in Psalms, everything. For some reason, Psalms was just my book, man. I was like, I found a scripture in Psalms that said, I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. I said, that's what's happening, Lord. I'm over here having Bible studies to you and the people are seeing that they're wondering about something. Because they never wondered about me before. And I'm addicted still. What's going on? So now people are coming to me, Tarek, can you teach me how to read the Bible? Tarek, can you teach me how to pray? Situations are happening with their family. Guess who they're calling? Me, so I can pray for their children and pray for accidents. And all of a sudden, brother came brother came to rehab, saw me walking. Oh, there goes Pastor T. <laughs> I'm in rehab. They had this Bible study every Sabbath downstairs called Vineyards and Friends. And so I started going to Vineyards and Friends, you know, because I'm into the Word. Now the Word is into me and it's speaking to me. And as i met this Bible study, I used to go there by myself at first, but by the time I finished 30 days of that recovery program, over half of the people were coming down with me. One brother knocked on my door. Knocked on my door. I opened the door. I said, what's up, man? He said, uh, excuse me, bro. Do I have to make an appointment to come see you? <laughs> I shut the door in this guy's face. I said, Lord, you got to be kidding me now. I said, Lord, I'm in rehab. I came here to help myself. I didn't come here to help these people. You know what God showed me? The verse that my sister read in Proverbs chapter 11. For he that watereth shall himself also be watered. The liberal soul shall be made Fat. And he that scattereth shall experience the increase. But he that withholdeth more than which tendeth to meet, it, no, it tendeth to poverty. Basically saying this, if you give it out, you experience the increase, tag. But if you withhold what you got, if you withhold your testimony, if you withhold what you learned up here, it tendeth to poverty. If you jort your soul to the hungry, to the afflicted, your darkness will be as the noonday, and your, 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 your night will be as the day, the Bible says. And you will be as a spring of water that, whose waters fail not. And the Lord will guide you continually and make your soul fat in drought, the Bible says. You know, God has given us these promises only when we seek to serve others, God will help us. Well, anyway, I, I had a beautiful time in rehab. God was teaching me Christianity 101 and before I left there I went into this room and I was late for class and my friend Derek and I went into the room and and I was writing on my bible to take notes and then I left the class put my bible back down came out Derek started crying and as Derek was crying, I said, brother, you okay? He said, man, I'm going through withdrawals, missing my family, kids. I said, brother, let's go for a walk. So we're going for this walk, and as we're walking, me and Derek, and, and next thing you know, this brother is breaking down. He sits on this rock, and he opens his, his hand, and his, he brought a Bible from the class with him because he was taking notes on the Bible. And then the Bible opened to this book called Psalms, and right then it clicked, the same scripture that my brother gave me the first day I went to rehab. I said, brother, if you don't turn to Psalms 143 right now. And he turned to Psalms 143, just flipped the page. And we read it together right there. And it said, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me and in thy righteousness, and enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul, he hath smitten my life down to the ground, he hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is desolate." I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land, Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, for my enemies, I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. And of thy mercies, cut off mine enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. We left there rejoicing. I had met the Savior in rehab. And my life would never be the same. I shared with you on Sabbath the journey of trust now. After I met Christ, I started to love him more and more because his words were proven true each time I tried to prove it. And I wanted to serve him and God told me I couldn't serve my idols. And so through his word, And through me reaching out, you know, as soon as I got out of rehab, the same loonies at the Bible studies, Bible study became my best friends. God had that bunch of loonies that I thought, crazy people, they ended up being the ministry team that I would join up with. And they had me going door to door with this team everywhere. I'm on the street with Sabbath signs and pamphlets and and passing out CDs and stuff. And there's people trying to punch us and swing at us. And we're praying for people. And I'm I'm talking about great controversy live. I wrote a, a journal for the very day that I got out of rehab for like two months of what I did. Every single day, Bible study, door-to-door, street ministry, um, Wednesday prayer meeting, Saturday church, Tuesday prayer meeting, Sunday Bible preaching class. God had me busy. He said, Tarek, you've been out there a while, and I need to keep you close and busy. But God walked me through and picked me up. And now I'm wrapping up. This is the end. But it's never the end until Jesus comes because the older I get, the longer it gets. And we could be here all night. Thank you for waiting, but I'm going to wrap it up. I'm not going to be like my brother who says, there's a slide, I'm not going to go past it, but he ends up talking about it anyway. <laughs> but uh, God delivered me all that year. November 2011, from all these physical things I was hooked to. Cigarettes and all that. And by uh, November, in November, I, when I was in Michigan as a kid, I, I had this girl who was my next-door neighbor when I was in uh, fifth grade. And I went to school with her. And she used to get on my nerves. She was so annoying at first. She used to just hop up to me with the books in her hands and says, Hi! <laughs> in my face. I'm like, man, what's wrong with this girl? Eh? But by the time I was a uh, freshman... Man, I had a crush on this girl. I really liked her. But I was so shy I couldn't talk to her. And in uh, and, and Michigan, I ended up leaving, going to California. She ended up leaving, going to uh, uh, Florida. And I went through my 15 years of darkness and addiction. And as soon as I quit the cigarettes, I got in contact with that same old girl again from Florida. And as I shared with you up here, we started to pray and have Bible studies over the phone, reading the book of John, Genesis, and uh, Joshua. We were just going every single night and praying. And before you knew it, I said, man, Lord, don't do this to me because she is, she's the one. This this better not be a test, Lord, because I'm going to fail this one. (laughs) Man, I didn't even see her in 15 years. And never was my heart so deeply, like, moved. Well, actually, it was when I met the Lord. that I was deeply moved. <laughs> but get it right. You hear my brother? Get it right. You're never going to let that go if I get off here. But, uh, you know, uh, God saw fit to bring us together. And I married my wife in uh, 2013 in Amen. January. And we just had our son, well, five months ago. And you're not going to believe this. I went to rehab in St. Helena Hospital in Napa. Now God sent me to go to PUC and that's on the same mountain just above the hospital where I went to rehab. So now I'm going to PUC as a theology major student. My wife works there as an enrollment counselor. And guess who goes to the hospital and helps out teach Bible studies at Vineyards and Friends where the people from rehab come? Yes, it's me. (laughs) Actually I had to uh, uh, have someone else fill in for me because I came here. So now I share my testimony to the same place I went to rehab. The same hospital that I was born again, my son was born. And so I used to look out this beautiful view where the hills were and, and read my Bible, going through my drug addiction, and now my son was born. Now we're on the top floor looking at the same view. And God, I'm like, wow, God, I used to be in that room down there looking out there. Never would have thought where God would have brought me. God is able to do exceeding abundant above all that you can ever ask for or think man it didn't enter this drug addict's mind as he was on the balcony high of cocaine smoking his newports that one day i would be here at SWYC talking to you Amen. it never would have came in my mind but all this poor man did is cry to the lord Amen. and he heard my cry will oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, yeah. for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands of the east and of the west, of the north and of the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the word of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And I'm going to stop right there because I can keep going and going. (laughs) Let's bow our heads as I pray. Close out. Thank you for being patient. Testimony is something that has blessed me even now. And Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for your redeeming hand and your power to save and reach and change lives. God, I want to thank you for your word that resurrects the dead. I thank you, God, because your word gave me hope. It gave me hope in the dark world. And I know your word could give hope to anybody on this planet. And to bring them out of darkness, bring them out of the low dungeon, Lord. And I'm so thankful that you come down and pick us up. Lord, bless your people, Lord, here. Let them understand that you have always been with them. I want to share this last little illustration with you. I remember I was sitting on the couch before I went to rehab, and I was watching this television station. It was very blurry. And there was a guy on the television station uh, telling a story. And I was on that couch and I was going through withdrawals so intense that my body was hurting so bad. And I was angry. Because I was out going to the Bible studies, but still they didn't understand what I was going through. And I said, God, this is the kind of pain that nobody knows what I'm going through. And I was mad at God too. This guy on the television show started to talk about, he went to this woman to visit her. She had a son that died and he went to the hospital to visit this woman. And this man is a pastor, and he goes to this woman, and she says, Pastor, I don't want to see you in here. Get out of here, Pastor. Don't tell me nothing about God. What does God know about losing a son? And she caught herself right at the end, because what does God know about losing a son? And then the pastor began to speak and say, God knows all kinds of pain. What does God know about your physical pain? What does he know about your mental pain? And I'm sitting on this couch shaking and my ears are perked now. Because now I'm seeing Jesus being whipped on the stake. Now I'm seeing Jesus carrying his cross to Calvary, stumbling, sweating. And now I see Jesus being raised through this blurry television station, shaking on the cross. And I remember as he was shaking there, I was shaking on the couch and it struck me. It was in that moment that I didn't feel alone anymore. I said nobody understood what I was going through, but yet I was looking at someone who does. Jesus has experienced the worst physical pain on this planet. Mental, loneliness, the darkness, he's bared it all for us. And I realized that he went through all of that for me. But I did this to myself. I say that to say to someone out here, today that you're not alone and in our our lives and in our closets there may be some of you who are struggling with addictions there are many forms of addictions not just drugs or heavy drugs but there are many forms of addictions and I want to make an appeal to you this late evening that if the spirit of God has spoken to your heart at SWYC and he is pressing upon your mind to lay that at his feet and this evening you want to trust him you want to give him that stronghold in your life and you want to say no more Lord and I want to cast my cares and my burdens on you God is familiar with your pain and because he's familiar he's able to save you if you're that person this this evening I'm going to ask you to stand if you're that person, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. God knows what it is in your life, and so do you. And as we acknowledge that in the, in the eyes of heaven, don't worry about nobody else. Because when you go back home and you're laying in on your bed in the late night, it's only you and God. When you walk out of here, it's only you and God. These people won't be next to you. I want to make one more appeal. If you maybe have never given your life to God and you would like to this evening, I'm going to ask you to be brave this evening and come forward. And I would like to say a word of prayer. This appeal is going to be twofold. The second one. If you've never given your life to God, or maybe you feel like you've strayed and you want to give your life back to God, I'm going to ask you to come down to the front this evening. And I'd like to say a word of prayer with you. Remember, my family, that in your darkest hours of despair, God is always there and he's listening. Won't you come on down if that's you? If that's you, praise God. It's okay has nothing to do with anybody here. There's something about coming down, praise God, brother. Something about coming down. That confirms the decision in the side of heaven. God bless you, sister. If you this day want to recommit say, Lord, I haven't been walking like I should have, and now I'm going all the way with you. Come on down, let's pray. Don't worry about it. Jesus and all the heavenly angels are watching you. They're here. Come on down, let's say a word of prayer. Praise the Lord. It's time to get serious. We're living in a time, my family. A time where God is choosing soldiers. A time when God is choosing the people to stand for him though the heavens fall. Come on down and stand for Jesus. You stand for Jesus because he's been standing for you all your life. While you're running, he's been chasing you. He's been loving you. He's been preserving you. He's been keeping you. Come on down and give your life to God. It's time. He says, come on home, my family. Only I can give you rest only I can give you freedom. This is not me This is what God has in his word. Look at it Fall in love with the Savior because he loves you Has anyone else died for you lately? He's bled for you my family Thou hast delivered my soul from death will not thou deliver my feet from falling the Bible says that I may walk before God in the light of the living he wants to deliver you is able to keep you from falling. He can do it, but you have to trust him. Stand on his word. Be a partaker of the divine nature. The kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. But the power is activated when you believe and you walk in it. Come on down. Come on down. If the Lord can save this dirty soul. He can do it for you. For you. Heavenly Father, let's all kneel. Let's kneel. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. I'm just thankful, Father. I'm thankful, God, that you are the only one who has been faithful in our lives. Lord, there are those who have come down here. And only you have been with them from day one. Only you know the dark thoughts in the back of their minds, the weaknesses, the doubts. Let them know, Father, that you have grace sufficient for them. You have power to overcome the world. You said these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. And Lord, we are trusting in that peace. Those who have walked down here, Father, they are acknowledging in the sight of heaven who is rejoicing. they would choose to be a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. They choose to fulfill the mission of the three angels. They choose to fully commit their lives to you and go all the way, all the way my Savior leads me. Help us to look at your face, walk with you, trust you, build our faith. There are those who have stood this evening who have acknowledged the strongholds, the thorns in their side, the weaknesses, Lord, those those fortifications that Satan has in their life. And Lord, in the sight of heaven, they're saying, God, the mighty creator, break it down. Deliver us, God. Free us, God. And we will get up after this prayer, walking in faith, because we believe it. Lord, you said everything is possible to him that believeth. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Lord, it's in your word. We lay our lives on the altar of grace, pleading for grace in our time of need, Lord. And we are in need, Lord. We need you. Restore us, build us. Establish us. Strengthen us. Settle us. Give us purpose, God. Let us be on fire for you so others will see the light and know that we have been with Jesus. God, only you can perform this in us. And so we look to you and we thank you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you Jesus for the victory thank you for dying for us Lord thank you for changing our lives thank you for giving us hope thank you for giving us more than many chances Lord that we've thank you for being merciful God we bless your name this evening and when we wake up tomorrow morning may we wake up with thy likeness this is our prayer of thanksgiving in Jesus name